Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot, Dave. I love, I love the prayers that uh, are always uh, speak through his mouth, you know, because you never quite know what's really going to go out of my mouth when I'm up here sometimes. <laughs> I know that's why you guys like me up here. <laughs> it's non-predictable. Hope you guys are doing good. It's been a wonderful week for me. Just amazing. Oh, man, I, I wish I could sometimes just be so transparent with you guys to, you know, we really would be one as a body and just kind of mesh together so you can feel what I feel and uh, the delight of God. I turned 39 this week, which was awesome. I went and, uh, yeah, I made it. I made it this far. <laughs> hey, praise God. That's right, there was a time where I questioned that, you know, <laughs> if we were going to make it. I got a chance to hang up up in Phoenix uh, uh, with some old friends of mine from Southern California um, and uh, see their band play, and it's a, bland, a band that I, I've known for a while, and uh, the band's name Strung Out, and um, uh, they're a punk band, uh, non-Christian band, of course, and um, my friend was going to be up there in Phoenix, and and you know, one of the biggest changes in my life over the years has been just a, a downright dynamite love for, I mean, just people in general, but especially for, for friends, especially for my old crew, if you will, old people that I used to hang out with, and to be able to minister to them. And, and I, and I tell you, there's nothing like being so satisfied in Christ over these uh, 22, 23 years now. I've, I've known the Lord, or rather, as Paul says, the Lord has known me. Um, to have these encounters where I'm able to get into, in a sense, the pit of the world, you know, go to a concert, you know, a punk concert, hang out with old friends, and, you know, hang out in a bar till 2 in the morning, you know, with, with band guys, and, you know, every, I'm the only guy who doesn't have tattoos all over his body, and uh, people with shirts, I mean, one of the shirts I saw said, um, train up your ch- kids to worship Satan, that's what his shirt said, you know, and, uh, but to be there is a beacon of light, man, to these people, you know, and, and to be so happy in God, to be so joyful in God, that these people see a difference in my life. And they love to hang with me. You know, I don't need drugs. I don't, they don't need to buy me nothing. They don't need to give me nothing. You know, they, they, they see a genuine change in my life. So much so where these people are like, you know, you're a pastor. Hey, that's, that's kind of cool. I mean, train up your child to worship Satan. It's cool that you're a pastor of a Christian church. It doesn't make sense, you know. I mean, the logic there. But, but the bottom line is, is the love of God has, has changed my life radically. And I hope it does yours. I hope, I hope you ain't settling for something that is so not God that is so not Christ that you have somehow bought into the idea of this world's love and that's what you carry and you wonder why you come into this place maybe always feeling a bit empty, always feeling a bit like you're just not filled enough, like you aren't full, that you aren't complete in Christ. And 
you can be today. And as Christians, we should be. This is the work of God in us. Tonight's topic is going to be love. And it's so vast of a topic, of course, I can't touch on every part of it, especially of this agape love, this God love. But I hope by the end of our our time together, just in the Word, as the Word speaks to our hearts, we'll see some areas that maybe we have actually fallen a little short of, of what God's love really is. And, and, and maybe you look at your life and, and maybe you're at a place where you go, you know what, I, I don't see my life impacting people just yet. Well, that's okay. Just wait, wait, hold on. Stay faithful. God's working on you. But you might be a seasoned saint here. You might be someone who has walked with the Lord for 15 years and you, you just go, wow, you know what, I don't impact anybody. I don't impact friends, workers, none then this is, this is where you need to get back to. You know, there's so many passages, scriptures about love. You have lost your first what? Love. Some of you today, tonight, have lost that first love. You're not satisfied in the Lord. You're not abiding in the Lord. You can't sing that song and just go, yeah, man, that's, that's it. You know, I'm satisfied in you, my God, so I will abide in the vine. You know, that there's other desires in your heart besides God. God, you can't say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? No one. Who do I desire on the earth? No one. My heart and flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my portion forever. You value him above all things, all things. And if you have him, man, you don't have any loss at all in your life, none. You are on that kind of solid footing, that kind of a rock. And this is what I've seen has just revolutionized my life, has brought forgiveness to life, loving parents that did bad things, loving friends that don't deserve it. All kinds of things have been revolutionized in my life and reconciled in my life. And it's it's simply because of the incredible love of God. So I hope we can grab this tonight. Let's pray. Father, we give you glory tonight. We want to worship you. We want to know more of you. So we ask your Holy Spirit would immerse us tonight in, uh, in your word, that your word would abide in us. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be that good soil for your seed to fall upon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to start off in 1 John chapter 4. And it says here in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this is very elementary, but there is a love that can only be experienced through being born again. There is a love that cannot be experienced, a fleshly love, a worldly love that does not 
know this love, nor can it understand it. We see it really plainly that let us love one another, for love is of God. It is not of natural man, so. And everyone who loves is born of God. So if you, if you, it's kind of a scary passage in the sense that if I am not loving like this, or I do not know this kind of love, then it begs kind of a question to us, right? Is, are you born again? If your life has not changed, then do you know the Savior who can change your heart and reform you? and make you a new creation. So that's why it's a scary passage right off the bat. We, we learn from that passage that love is not naturally of us, that it's something that is of God, and that in order to love, to experience this, I need to actually know God and I don't have to, I just know him intellectually like you know all the wonderful prophecies out there and you can really hang with Chuck Missler and all the boys, you know what I mean? But I mean, you know the love of God so much that, uh, you know, dying to yourself is gain. It ain't loss. You, you want to lose your life so that you can gain it. All the things Jesus says now makes much, a lot of sense to be blind so you can see, to lose so you live, you know, all these things like this, die, live, all, you know, all those things be, make sense to you because you, you understand them. They're, they're, they're things that can only be understood through the love of God in your life. It says in verse 80, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Okay, and we read this a lot in 1 John. And then it tells us in verse 9, it says, In this is love, the love of God, was manifest towards us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. First John's very straightforward about love moving us towards loving. If God really is in my life, there is going to be an impact in my life that is going to be for the benefit of others. And that if God's love is not in my life, then there is not going to be this impact in those people around me's life. Have you ever tried to tell someone um, that doesn't know Christ that they don't understand love, God's love? I, I remember sitting down with Sylvia, my wife, when we first got married and we had dinner with Sylvia's sister and Sylvia's sister's, I think, husband or fiance. And we were talking about love, God's love. And this person didn't know God. And I said, well, you don't love the way God does. And he's saying, you saying I don't love my parents? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what do I say at this point? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's kind of one of those awful moments. But my answer was, yes. You don't love like God. That is a, that, that is a supernatural love that 
manifest itself in our lives. But it can't be manifested unless there is first that born-again experience. This love is also demonstrated by God. So we see where this love, in a sense, became accomplished for us. There was a point in time where this love became available to us, this supernatural love manifesting itself in our life through being born again, and that is through the the death of Christ. We see this right here, and this is love that it was manifested. It was shown towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, and we're going to get a little bit more into Jesus and how he loved and what that really, um, what the really definition of that really, what it looks like. Um, so, uh, and this is love, not that we have fo- loved God, verse 10, but that he, have, he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then it goes on and says, if, this, if God loved us in this way, we ought to love one another. So this love is to be a pattern of those that have the Spirit of God in them towards others. This shouldn't be abnormal. This, this should not be something that's kind of like, whoa. You know, Romans 13, 9 is a passage that just says, you know, love fulfills the law. Owe no one anything except to love. It's a pattern. Paul says that's, that, that's, that should be in your guys' life. I mean, that's, that's the manifestation of Christ in your life. You know, Galatians 5, 6, the fruit of the Spirit is love. When we are immersed in Christ at the moment of salvation, when I am placed into Christ, I am given that love. I am immersed into the same Spirit that worked in Christ in the same loving way that worked through him. See, that should be the, um, that should typify the church is the love that Christ had towards people. So it shouldn't be something that's odd to see within the body of Christ. It should be something that's really seen in the body of Christ. It is the work of the Spirit. That is it. You can't have a work of the Spirit without Jesus' love. So this isn't a side issue, is it? It's, it's central. It's central to your spiritual life. Now, we want to kind of define love, and it's kind of neat. I posted on my Facebook page. I just said, hey, you know, what's your guys' definitions of love? What do you think about it? I only had two re- responses. One of them was... Um, to an old guy who was in one of my old youth groups from years ago, and he just said, 1 Corinthians 13, come on. You know, like, you know, of course, you know, for, and we usually always go there. We are going to go there and look at that a little bit. Um, the other guy just said God. <laughs> you know, God is love, First John. So uh, that was his. But we want to kind of get into this a little more and, uh, and really delve into it. You know, um, Jesus, even in John 13, I mean, even when I think of love, Jesus even said, you will be known by your love for one another. Not for any other thing, but for your love for one another. So again, this is not uh, a side issue. It's not marginal. Uh, You really have to look at how is this manifestation of Christ in my life? Is it in my life? And we're going to find that it's very radical. The, The love of God is extremely radical. And I hope 
we grab that. Now, let's go to Jeremiah 9.24 and just check out a passage about the Father's love. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to go to Micah 7.18 too. And this is a great passage. It says, But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Now I want you to see something. God doesn't just love. He actually delights in it. And this is really important. This is going to be really important for us to understand when the Bible talks about what Christian love is, what God, his type of love is compared to the world's. He delights in it. Now, Micah 7.18 says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning sin or iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? Does he not retain his anger forever? Because he delights in mercy. So God isn't just merciful, but he delights in mercy. He's not just loving, but he delights in being loving. Now I want you to catch this pattern that we're going to see about this, this kind of language that's being expressed about God and the way he does things. So he's not just loving, guys, but he delights in loving. He's not just merciful, but God delights in mercy. And from what what I get from this, what I get from that is that this kind of love and mercy is not a disinterested action in helping someone. But there is a gain in godly love a delighting in the loving that takes place. So it's not just doing something to do it. It's not just doing something that's loving, but it's actually delighting in something which produces love. So already I hope you guys are starting to go, hmm, maybe, maybe, I, don't, maybe I don't really know what love is. Do I delight in love? Do I delight in mercy? I mean, is that a joy? So God, I don't think, is disinterested in being loving or disinterested in being merciful. God is wrapped up in it, man. He has incredible joy. He delights in it. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, we see... Jesus' love, um, we're going to see this, but I, I first want to paint kind of a picture, a little bit of an argument for you guys. In 1 Corinthians 13, which is the big love chapter, and everybody you know, goes, man, that's love, you know. Um, Paul says in this section, in verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, you are very, I'm sure, familiar with this, and though I give my body to be burned... So Paul says you can die for someone. You can give your body 
to be burned. I mean, that sounds pretty radical. But you have not love. The prophets, you absolutely zilch. Now, Jesus died on the cross, but he died loving. Now, we know from John chapter 15, and follow me on this, in John chapter 15, there's a famous passage that Jesus says, no greater love than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Paul just gets done telling us that you can lay down your life for someone, and it means absolutely nothing in God's eyes. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. But yet Jesus says in John 15 that no greater love than this, that one lay down his life for his friends, and that's what he is, 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 is going to do. But there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 12 that tips us off to Jesus' kind of love that is different and has to be different from the 1 Corinthians 13, 3 person. See, he gives his life, 1 Corinthians 13 guy, he, he gives his life for someone, but he missed it. And there's a lot of people in this world that give their life for something, but it is not God's love. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 let me flip there. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Okay, he's the author, and he's the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame. So Jesus' sacrifice wasn't a disinterested action, but there was joy in his heart. He was delighted to do it. See, he didn't just act lovingly. He delighted in doing it. He delighted in being loving, just as the Father does. He not only does acts that are loving, but he delights in it. He doesn't just have mercy on me, but he loves it. I mean, he just digs it. Isn't that amazing? I mean, doesn't that just excite you that God's not just aloof, that he's not just sitting there and going, oh yeah, I'm loving. Yep, and I just, I do acts of love, but uh, you know, I'm really not, it doesn't really matter if I'm really into it in my heart, you know, uh, that there's an emotional response I have towards you. No, it says God, it says he, he loves us so much that he, it says in Zephaniah 3.17 that he rejoices over you with singing. He delights in it. He delights in having a love for you and having a mercy. And Jesus did this too. He didn't just go to the cross, but he went with joy in his heart. A love and that love wasn't disinterested love. It was love that was seen through his joy that he had. And that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Now, 
in first, if we go back to 1 Corinthians 13, we see that Paul also tells us that there's a gain in love. He says it in verse uh, 6. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Now, th- there is a gain that love's ha- love, love has. It does not just follow truth. It doesn't just do things that are truthful. But it has to have this quality. It rejoices in the truth. This is the gain from godly love. It rejoices in God and in his truth. It's not just something that does truth, but it actually rejoices in it. Now, there's other passages that come to light when I think of this. I think of Micah 6.8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly and to love mercy Don't just be merciful, but love it. Then it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 7, it says to not just give, because you can give all you want, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, and it still not be love. But what makes it born again, Christ love, is when you do it cheerfully, delightfully. That's what makes it born again, Christ birthed love. So this is radical. Paul says you you can run into a place, save someone's life, sacrifice your own, and that is not love and it doesn't glorify God. Whoa! That is heavy. That God's love instead is... A, such a joy and a delight in God that you don't just do it, but you delight in God in doing it. That that actually is a born-again type of love. This is the love the world doesn't understand. It does not grab. It doesn't see the value of Christ that much. See, we do. We who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good see the value of Christ We see the worth of Christ, that he is to be pursued in all things, that I am to delight in him in all things. If I have him, I have everything. I am complete fully in him. My wife doesn't complete me. My kids don't complete me. Their heart and flesh will fail me. But God is the strength in my portion forever. He is my delight. He is the treasure. That's why It glorifies him when we delight in him in being merciful, in being loving. It shows the value of Christ. To remove that would be not waiting on God, not waiting on his delight. It would be just going to the things of the world. It doesn't shine God in his glory. And that is the purpose of love. It is to shine God. It's not just to make you feel good though it does, but it's to shine his glory. And for me, my concern has to be for God and his glory above me. Or else I don't know if that's a real good version of Christianity. That might be very man-centered, but that certainly ain't God-centered. 
Now we're going to take a test and see how we do. The test actually Paul gives to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And it surely is a test. And uh, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let's just, let me just give you a little bit of background. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 through 4, and in Romans chapter 15, verse 26, we get a little bit of a background into this part of the scripture that is telling us that Paul is wanting to send Titus, his companion in the faith, to Corinth to pick up uh, a financial offering from the church of Corinth to the church in Jerusalem. Church of Jerusalem's going through some struggles. There's going to be a, uh, some people picking up some cash in different areas for them to help them out. Now, we, we see something in verse 8 that is very cool in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that Paul says, and this is the test I'm talking about. It says, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love. So Paul says, I'm testing you, Corinthian church, to see the sincerity of your love, you know, uh, by the diligence of others. Meaning, I'm, I'm in a sense comparing you and your love to those that have been loving. I mean, these people are the poster children of loving God and God, his spirit in them and loving through them. This is it. So it's a test for us too. Do you want to know if you're, if you're loving in a, in a correct born again type of way, in a spirit led type of way? Here, here it is right now. So in verse one, we're going to try to see, kind of break this down really simply. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you by the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, he's writing Corinth, but he says to them, Brethren, I want to make it known to you the, the grace of God that was given to the church of Macedonia. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, Hey, hey, CCF you know, Calvary Christian Fellowship. I want to make known to you what the grace of God has done in the churches at Macedonia. Just how incredible God's grace was seen in their life. And this is so that you can test yourself to see if you're, if you're really loving. And so this is our test. But first we see that this love that we're going to see manifested in the Macedonia church in verse 1 of chapter 8 is a grace of God. It is a gift from the Lord. It is a love that is outpoured from a gift from the Lord. Seek it. If you don't have that love tonight, seek it. Matthew 7, 7, ask, seek, knock. God, give me this love. I believe you died on the cross for me. Give me this love through, through the immersion in your spirit that your love permeates my life, that I don't see things the way this world does, but now I see things through, through the lens of your love that I delight in it. Give me a heart that delights in that, that has joy in that, that I don't go to the, 
the false things of this world that we do so quickly. As C.S. Lewis puts it, right, we go to drink and sex and all these things like that when there's infinite joy just waiting for you. So the first thing about the the love that the Macedonians have is that it's a grace of God. Now, it says in verse 2, in that great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now, this this grace that was given to this church showed up in a certain way. How did it show up? The grace of God was given to the church. The grace of God is given to me. If it is given to me, there is a a sure sign that I am in Christ. And this has got to be the love that Christ showed and demonstrated in the Spirit has to be in my life. You cannot be born again and and, and say you're born again and and then not love. We, We found that out from 1 John. So if you say, oh, I know God, but you don't love, you don't know God. I mean, I, I just got to be plain with you. You do not know God. But if you, if you love, it's because you've been born of God. You see this. You love it. You delight in it. Now, in their great trial, in the Macedonians' great trial of affliction, meaning they were going through some hard times themselves, the abundance of their what? Joy. Paul says the grace of God was on this church so much that even in their time of great affliction, man, they had a joy for God that just welted up in them, man. It was so big. It was so big that it moved them. It wasn't something they mustered up. It was something that was granted to them. It was something that was gifted to them. It was something that they sought, and God granted that. So it showed itself in abundance of joy, though outwardly they were financially, in a sense, pinched. And then three, the third thing I see is, this showed in the godly benefit to those in need. See verse two, it says, that their great trial of affliction in abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. The church needed help in Jerusalem. The Macedonians didn't have really anything to give. But because of the grace that was given to them, they had an overwhelming joy in God. Such a joy in God that it worked itself out in the benefit of others. It worked itself out by them giving liberally in all ways. Notice how this kind of comes out it says in verse three for i bear witness that according to their ability yes and beyond their ability man these guys just can't stop doing it they were freely willing willing of course by the grace of god and not only as we had hoped but they for or verse four imploring us with much urgency that we could we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Notice verse 4. It says, they were imploring us. The Macedonian church was imploring us with much urgency. They were begging to give to the church of Jerusalem. 
They were begging to help them. Can we help more? What can we give up? What can we deny in our life? What can we give up in our life to bless our brothers? See, it wasn't just the action that made it godly love. It was that they had what in it? They had joy in it. They had joy in God to deny themselves earthly things for the sake of the betterment of other people. This is beautiful. You know, I think of Acts chapter 20, and I'll, I'll read you this, but it just, it kills my heart. I read this and I just go, man, this is so awesome. And it takes the flesh and just rips it apart in my life. But it's Acts chapter 20, verse 24. And Paul here says this. In verse 22, he says, And see, now I go to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. I'm going to go, and man, bad things are going to happen. But he says something really radical in verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And I always like to reword this. This means this. For Paul to count his life dear to himself, which is the world's kind of love, it's a love that is bound up either in my goodness at the expense of others, or it's a duty-filled love. It is not associated with the joy and the pleasure of God. It is duty-filled, don't get me wrong. People sacrifice every day out of duty. But that still is not God-glorifying love. So Paul, if we reverse this and said, if Paul was to count his life dear to himself, he would forfeit himself of joy. See, for Paul, denying himself of this world's things was an entrance into joy. He was going for something greater, guys, the joy of God. So to deny himself of something wasn't a, a bad thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, man, if you're, why are you suing one another? Why not just be wrong? Why not just be wronged? What's wrong with you just being wronged? You know, why do you always have to be right? See, going after your things in this world forfeits you from entering into a greater joy that God has for us. The Macedonian church got it. By the grace of God, even though they were inflicted as people, they had an incredible joy in God. And that joy in God resulted in the godly benefit of others. And this is where I get the definition of love. Love is my joy in God, which overflows into the benefit of others. That is godly love. It's my joy in God. It's my delight in God. It's my pleasure 
in God. And it results in an overflow in my life for the benefit of others. And let me just tell you, that kind of love is so downright freeing. You know what that love does? Because it's a joy in my relationship with Christ, nothing gets in the way of that relationship. Nothing. Nothing can. Jesus can say, blessed are you when you're hated because of my name's sake. Happy are you. Happy. He says, happy are you when you're persecuted for him. Absolutely happy. Why? Because there is a love relationship between you and God, a pleasurable relationship, an incredible, delightful relationship that no one can separate you from that love. No one can tear that away from you. That's godly love. It is rooted in the work of Christ on our behalf. It is foundational. It is something that cannot be removed. If your love is anything else, then people will get you off your game all the time. It is a worldly love. One day you'll be going good, but they don't love you. Then the next day you'll be bad because they don't love you. But, that, but Jesus, Jesus always puts the bar, guys, so high. You know why? Because he's God. And as, as, as Christian brothers and sisters, we don't want to lower our, our, our view of love to the world. We don't want to take it and go, oh, you know what, Bo, this is kind of tough. You're telling me not just that, even if I don't just do acts that are loving, but you're saying I delight in God, you know, and things like that. That doesn't sound actually that tough, really, when I put it that way. I mean, delighting in God, enjoying your creator, being glad in God, tasting and seeing that he is good, drinking from the river of his pleasure. That doesn't sound like a bad thing. We, we want to exalt our view of love. If we don't see it the way Christ saw it, that he didn't pursue that cross with joy in his heart, that it was just some duty, then that's how we're going to live. Our love will be no different from this world's. We won't be pursuing God. We won't have a joy in the Lord. And again, the result of that is that people won't see a born-again type of love in your life. They'll see that you love like everybody else loves. You love like the unregenerate person. But Jesus said they would know you. They will know you by your love. So I wrote down, why is it so important to understand this? And why am I so passionate to try to drive it home? Because love without a joy in God cannot glorify him. God is pleasurable, and his grace is good, and it's to be desired. We are to taste and see that he is good. To love without the motivation of our hearts in this goodness and joy would be to make love a duty. And God cannot be glorified where he is not treasured and enjoyed. 
He needs to be treasured if he's to be glorified. I do not just love my wife out of duty, guys. I don't kiss my wife because I have to. I love her. I delight in it. I have joy in it. In the act of having mercy on her, I delight in the act of having mercy on my wife because it's my joy in God. I want more of God. So I want to delight in God in that action of being merciful, in that action of forgiving. Some of you guys might have parents that I've had that, you know, have done things that weren't nice. And there's things that are hard to forgive. But when you have so much love, then God grants you that love for him, that you have so much joy for God in forgiveness, then you want to forgive because it's your joy to forgive. I would not ask you guys to have relationships on the horizontal for duty only, though there are places in this world where that is accepted. God's type of love is something that is encompassed and primarily in the joy of him. And then it overflows into the godly benefit of other people. So I hope I've stirred you guys up a little bit tonight to think through this topic of love. Paul says you can do all the right things. Some people have said, oh, love is a, a, an emotion. Well, there's more to love than just emotion we see. But if you say love is just action, love is an action, that's wrong too. It's got to be, you have to be fully entrenched in the joy of God. But the world always likes to polarize these things. And we see that God's word is right there. It really helps us to understand what the born, of, born again type of love is. And, and I pray for you guys that you guys experience that kind of love and, and, and that you know, people around you experience that kind of love. It is radical. I, I wish I could tell you guys how many things have been fixed in my life and I don't know how it's happened. I, I don't know. Other than knowing God's love and enjoying him and, and worshiping him and praising him and just loving God. And through all that act of loving God and him loving me and having this relationship with Christ has brought, brought around an amazing reconciliation of all kinds of relationships I've had in my life. Not because I've strived to do it, but simply because God, by his grace, has, has moved these things into these reconciliation kind of states. And I hope that is, is uh, you know, happening in your life too. It's glorious. So let's pray. Father, we give you glory tonight. We thank you so much for your word. Lord, I, I thank you for the relationship we have with you. I, I thank you that we are born again, and, and that means just that, that we're given a new life, a new heart, a new outlook on love, um, a new love, uh, Lord, and it's something that happens through uh, your spirit residing in us. It can't be just manifested in us intellectually, and then somehow we do it, but Lord, it is as we see in that church to the Macedonians, it is a gift, it is a grace gift from you. And, and uh, Father, I pray for those who have no clue what I'm talking about tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, they would um, come to know you, Jesus, and know 
the love that you have for them. Uh, the love that says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Lord, I pray that that, that scripture would speak to their hearts. Uh, Lord, even now, that they would recognize that, Lord, they are so bankrupt when it comes to relationships in this world. They have no love to give. And maybe it's because their love has been rooted in other people instead of rooted in the joy of you. And so, Father, open up eyes, we pray, by your grace. Lord, deliver people from uh, the error of their way, Lord. Uh, For those that have been walking with the Lord a long time and they just don't experience that joy, Father, return them, bring them back to their first love, I pray. I pray that, Father, that love that they have for you would welt up in them and it would overflow into the godly benefit of other people, maybe people they haven't talked to for a long time in their life, maybe people that they're bitter at or angry at or things like that are just constantly, you know, they're hindered by these resentments. Uh, Father, I pray that your love would would bring about uh, reconciliation, Lord, in these uh, different situations. Uh, Father, above all things, I pray that we not be moved by uh, the way people love us in return. Uh, Lord, that our love would be rooted in in you. And Lord, because it's rooted in you, it's it's immovable. And uh, Father, teach us what that means. Teach us to love that, to deny ourselves is a, is a plus for us. It's a beautiful thing for us, Lord. Uh, Lord, uh, help us to see those things. Uh, Father, I pray that your word would not be stolen uh, from the hearts of those that it fell upon tonight. Lord, that you would uh, keep your church holy, keep us pure before you, Father, and forgive us of our sins, Lord. Cleanse us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.